Welcome back, and you're listening to Sex Reimagined. Hey, Sex Reimagined. It's Madeline Kramer. And Alex Ederberg here. It's Friday, May 27th, 2022, and today we're going to be talking about current sex ed in the U.S. Alex, if you can think way back to when you had sex ed, what was it like? Hey! Okay. I remember being given some rather graphic pictures of SDIs, and I was supposed to be made, quote-unquote, comfortable with sex by saying penis five times fast. My gym teacher literally did the whole condom on the banana me. Oh, my God. Okay. Now, I was curious what sex ed looks like these days, so I looked into it a little. Initially, I was thinking it has to be better than what ours was, because we live in such a progressive world now, right? (laughs) Wrong. Actually, only 26 states in the U.S. require sex ed, and only 18 states require medically accurate information to be provided. Wow. Okay, I'm curious. What is being taught if it's not medically accurate? I'm wondering that, too. And thankfully, we have a guest speaker joining us today to delve into this. Dr. Jones. Doctor, you've been studying the effects of abstinence-only programs for a while now, since 2005. Just to give our listeners some context, can you start off by explaining what abstinence-only education is? And thanks for having me. Essentially, abstinence-only education is a form of sex ed teaching teens that the best form of birth control is to simply not have sex. This is the forefront of misinformation taught in sex ed, and it has been since the 1970s. It's still required to be stressed in 37 states. Wow. Okay, now I'm curious. Is this kind of sex ed actually effective? Does it reduce how often teens have sex? No. Simply put, it doesn't. Consistently, studies have shown that abstinence-only education has no effect on how often teens have sex. Consequently, teen pregnancy and STI rates actually increase if teens receive this as sex ed, as they're not taught how to properly use condoms or other forms of birth control. Not to be that person, but why is this type of sex ed still around if it's been proven to be so ineffective? Abstinence-only sex ed is centered around the idea that people shouldn't have sex until marriage, and it's a way to spread that ideology. Many religions prominent in the U.S. today believe that having sex before marriage is a sin, and they have a lot of influence and power that keeps this sex ed around. Wow, I've heard that one before. Having sex before marriage is dirty and will make you less, quote-unquote, desirable. Growing up in a conservative town in Northern California had no shortage of that. Exactly, Madeline. Hearing that in sex ed made me feel like my only value stemmed from my virginity, and once that was gone, so is my worth. I want to express to every single one of our listeners that your your value does not come from if you have or haven't had sex. You have value regardless of that. Absolutely correct. Abstinence-only sex ed reinforces a very harmful view of women's value based on their sexual past, which is needless to say, false. Thank you, doctor. This brings me to my favorite part of this episode, Mythbusters. We asked teens to submit a poll on the most common quote-unquote facts about sex that are talked about in school. And boy, do we have a lot. First up, we have Rachel from Orange County. Good morning. How are you doing today? Hi, everyone. I'm doing pretty good. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to hear it. Now, I have to ask, what's a common misconception that a lot of your peers have about sex? Well, I've actually had to debunk this one for a lot of my friends, but they all think that the pull-out method works and you can't get pregnant from it. Wow. Okay. That's a big one. I'm really glad we're talking about this. The pull-out method is very ineffective. I know a lot of people have gotten pregnant from it. In fact, a range of 17 to 41% of pre-cum contains sperm. I didn't even know that. That's a really high percentage. Right? Okay. Now I'm curious, Rachel, how did you learn that pre-cum can get you pregnant? My mom is actually a doctor, so I had the talk when with her when I was really young, and she made sure to really stress that one. Kudos to your mom. 
<laughs> yeah, that's great that she taught you that. Yeah, I also want to bring up the point that unfortunately we don't all have moms who are doctors or have access to that kind of information if it's not taught in schools. That's very true. It's all about accessibility. Who does and doesn't have access to information? Exactly. And thanks for joining us, Rachel. On to our next team guest. Please welcome Cindy from Texas. Cindy, how are you today? Hi, y'all. I'm doing fine this morning. What is a common misconception about sex that a lot of your peers think is true? Well, a lot actually comes to mind. When I hear about a lot is that girls always bleed the first time they have sex. Ah, uh, I've heard this one a lot, too. Yeah, me too. Have you ever heard of the hymen, Cindy? Uh, no, I don't think so. Basically, the hymen is a thin tissue that's at the entrance of the vagina. Typically, it's known to break or tear the first time you have sex, resulting in blood. But that's actually not true. Yes, exactly. The hymen can break from many common activities. Mine broke from riding my bike. Mine broke from riding a horse. Anyways, <laughs> the point is that your hymen can break from many normal activities. It doesn't just have to be from having sex for the first time. Do you have any more questions, Cindy? Actually, yes, I do. I've been talking a lot about this with my girls, and none of us are really sure. Are girls supposed to be able to orgasm just from having penetrative sex? Ah, uh. Yes, a question as old as time. First off, there is no quote-unquote supposed to about having sex. It's all about finding what feels good for you and what you like. With that being said, most women can't orgasm just from penetrative sex. To put a number on it, only about 18% of women can orgasm just from penetration and instead need some type of clitoral st stimulation to reach orgasm. If you want more information on this, I recommend looking at the website Scarletine. They have a ton of really great resources about sex. We'll talk about this more in depth later in the podcast, too. Okay, thanks. That makes so much sense. Of course. And that concludes the Mythbuster section of our podcast. Next up, we're going to be talking about comprehensive sex ed, the pros, the cons, and really get into the nitty gritty of it. We have a guest speaker today from California, a state that pioneered comprehensive sex ed. Good morning, Dr. Fowler. Can you tell us a little bit about what comprehensive sex ed is? Hi guys, a pleasure to be here. Comprehensive sex ed is sex ed that is supposed to talk about all aspects of sex, anatomy, consent, relationships, STIs, and birth control. It is implemented in six states and has been shown to dramatically decrease teen pregnancy and STI rates. That seems like it would be much more effective than abstinence-only education. It is, but... It that doesn't mean it's perfect. A lot of comprehensive sex ed still doesn't talk about queer identity and relationship. I was actually just reading a study by the nonprofit GLSEN, which said that less than one in 10 LGBTQ plus students said they received sex ed that was inclusive of their identities. So even comprehensive sex ed needs to be revised? Yes, we need to be doing better in school sex ed. But because of how little information teens get, especially queer teens, there are amazing resources online that can help. Yeah, there's a lot of really great resources out there for sex ed, and we want to share a few with you listeners. We already talked a little bit about Scarletine, but it's an amazing website that has information about all aspects of sex, consent, relationships, queer identity, STIs, birth control, and anatomy. They have a lot of really amazing articles going in depth on all of these topics. Another great resource is, is Teen Talk by Planned Parenthood. This is a weekly meeting put on by teens for teens where they talk about sex, educating each other on everything they know. This is a great opportunity to not only be educated on all aspects, but form a community as well. Another great resource are community centers such as Grand Rapids Pride Center in Michigan. It's a queer community center that focuses on answering questions queer teens have about sex and creating community groups. However, I want to reiterate, while these are amazing resources, this information should be, should be provided by schools in order to ensure everyone has equal access to this information. Teens do not have equal access to these resources we talked about above, which is extremely unfair. 
Perhaps someone doesn't have access to a car to drive to a community center and they miss out on valuable information because of this. Completely agree with both of you. Access is everything and people of color are disproportionately affected by this. While racism is apparent in every aspect of life, I wanted to talk a little about how it is apparent in comprehensive sex ed through reinforcing false and extremely harmful racial stereotypes. In particular, I was just reading a study by Lorena Garcia, which talked about Latina girls, girls' experiences in sex ed. Most Latina girls reported being hypersexualized by their sex ed teachers, and a lot of the teachers wouldn't even teach Latina teens how to use a condom because they said they wouldn't use it anyway. Wow, that's extremely harmful. Yeah, exactly. This is just one example of how a racial stereotype, such as Latina women being hypersexual, comes up in sex ed and is reinforced by educators. This, again, is a much bigger issue than just sex ed. But it is important to understand how racial stereotypes and sexism are apparent even in comprehensive sex ed. And this, along with expanding comprehensive sex ed to include discussion of queer identity and relationships, is what we need to change. There are ways that we can do this, and we wanted to talk about the most important ones today with you guys, especially ways that our under-18 listeners can, can create change locally. First up, your local school board has the most influence on what's taught in your local school district. To contact the school board, you can send emails and letters and even show up to their meetings to talk about sex ed. Yeah, I've attended a lot of school board meetings in my hometown, and it was a lot less stressful than I thought it would be. I just gave a little speech to the members on what I wanted them to change. The next thing to do is very general, but still very important. When you turn 18, vote. Now, I know this is kind of a broad one, but just do your research on who is on the ballot and remember that local elections are also really important, not just when you're voting for the president. You can also elect your local officials and your school board. Now, to end today's podcast, I want to remind you all of actually the most important thing that you listeners can do. Talk about what you heard today. Whether you talk to your friends, your family, your coworkers, just talk about sex ed, the good and the bad. Spreading awareness about sex ed is extremely important and opening conversations about it is the best way to do that. Thank you so much for listening to Sex Reimagined. We'll be back next week talking about birth control. Have a great week. We love you all.